You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Now, before we get into uh, today's lesson, I want to begin, <clears throat> excuse me, by reading Mark chapter 16 and verses uh, 19 and 20. And uh, I tell you what, let me back up so I don't just jump in the middle of this. On the last day of Jesus' ministry here on the earth, he was getting ready to ascend to heaven. He's been raised from the dead. He walked the earth for 40 days and made various appearances to his disciples. And so, the last occasion that they were gathered together up in Galilee, he said to them in, in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs, say these signs, will follow those who believe. Notice it doesn't say it will follow preachers. These signs will follow anybody who will believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up in, into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And here's what I want to get to. And they went out, they, the disciples, went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word. This, uh, the New King James says, through accompanying signs. The Old King James says, through signs following. And so what I want you to know is that, first of all, I believe as we, in this environment, as I preach and teach on healing, I believe people will be healed. I believe the power of God will show up to confirm his word. Now, here's the other part of that, and that is God wants to confirm his word for you as you go out and preach and minister healing to people. He wants to use you in that arena. So I want you to be aware of that. Please don't ever think that praying for the sick, laying hands on the sick is just the minister's job, is just the pastor's job, just the job that we do in the pulpit. No, that's for every believer to do. So if you come across somebody who needs healing in their body, ask them, say, can I pray for you? And uh, lay hands on them and pray and believe God for healing. And I believe healing will show up. Don't you? I said, don't you? Okay. Well, let's get into this. Let's look at our foundation scripture found in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. This is, again, the summary of Jesus' ministry that Peter gave in the house of Cornelius, when he went down to minister to them, it says, uh, Peter said this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the, his healing power and he was able and did go down and minister to people who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So we, have, over the previous seven weeks, have built our case that healing is the will of God. It is God's will for you and me to be healed, 
to live in health. Um, and, uh, you know, somebody said, well, how, if I don't, if I don't get sick, how am I going to die? Just die, go home to be with the Lord whenever you get ready. The Bible says in Psalm 91, the very last verse in verse 16, it says that God will minister to you and give you, uh, he'll bless you with life satisfied, fully satisfied. So whenever you are satisfied with life, you feel like you have run your course, you finished your race, then go sit down somewhere and go home to be with the Lord. That's the way to go. You don't have to go to heaven sick. Amen. You don't. Now, there's no nothing, um, I don't want to, you know, there's nothing less or, or um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want anybody to think that if, if somebody did go to heaven as a result of being sick, that they were somehow inferior. That is not the case. You, you know, listen, uh, going to heaven is the ultimate healing anyway. Because, <laughs> you know, those that have gone on before is they're not experiencing any more pain or sickness or disease anyway. But I'm just saying to you, that's not the way you have to go. All right? So that was free. That won't cost you anything. Uh, I want to take just a few moments this morning in our, in our message at the direction of the Holy Spirit. And I want to reemphasize something to you, and that is this, and that Jesus bought and paid for our healing at the same time that he bought and paid for our spiritual salvation. The same price was paid for both. So what I want to do is let's look at some scriptures, and I want to go to a scripture we've touched on many times in this series, found in Isaiah 53. You have it on your notes. It'll be for you uh, up on the screen. And I want to read Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5. Now, this is, you know, a long time before Jesus ever went to the cross. The prophet Isaiah is prophesying by the Holy Spirit what will happen to Jesus at that point. And it says in verse 3, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, there's three words in particular that I want to point out to you this morning, and uh, let's look at those. On your notes, I, I, I don't remember if I included this in your handout, but uh, the word griefs there in the, the English, in the uh, New King James Version, Everywhere else in the Old Testament, that Hebrew word, koli, is translated disease, sickness, or some kind of illness. For some reason, when the translators got to this particular verse, they, they backed away from it and put griefs. And so I believe, you know, if you want to be free from griefs, you can include that with it. But it's actually properly defined as sickness, disease, or some kind of illness. The next word that I want to point out to you is the Hebrew word makab, which they translated as sorrows. 
And it doesn't mean sorrows like an emotion of sorrows. It actually means pain, suffering, and sorrow. Pain, physical pain, suffering, and sorrow. And again, everywhere else in the Old Testament, the translators translated it pain or some type of a you know painful issue. But here in this particular verse, it is translated sorrows. So my point is this. If you look at the verse and uh, translate it correctly. We'll read it that way in just a moment. But the last word that I want to uh, clarify for you is the word healed. And I, you know, I know people have tried to say, well, you know, pastor, that means spiritual healing. And uh, well, first of all, you need to understand something. Can I teach for just a second? When you get born again, you are a new creation. Your spirit is made brand new. So your spirit does not need to be healed. Your spirit is totally recreated. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Well, when I got saved, uh, my body was the same after I received Christ. My mind was the same after I received Christ. So the part of me that became new is my spirit. So here's my point. You as a believer do not need spiritual healing. Now you might need some healing in your mind, your will, and your emotions or your physical body, but your spirit, uh, other scriptures say that we are complete in him. Spiritually speaking, you're as perfect as you're ever going to be. Hello? Okay. So, you know, I, I understand maybe what they're trying to say is that Jesus bought and paid for our emotional healing, and I can go with that because later on in those verses, he says the chastisement of our peace was upon him. But in these particular verses, it is talking about physical ailments. Now, the last word healed there is the Hebrew word rapha. Anybody ever heard God called Jehovah Rapha? What that means is he is the God that heals you. And so the same word Rapha is used here. And I love this and because I really didn't understand this part of it until I looked in fullness in the dictionary, in the Hebrew dictionary. It's, this means this. The, the healing means the process of healing, being restored to health, made healthy. And then I thought this was really interesting restored to fertility. So if you know of anybody that is trying to have children and they cannot, for whatever reason, turn them on to this verse because Jesus bought and paid the price for uh, fertility to be restored. Now, I'm not prophesying or declaring anything over anybody in this room, okay, I don't know of anybody, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say, but if you need it, take it, all right? Or you know somebody that does, <laughs> let them know. But let's translate this, this correctly. So Isaiah 53, verses four and five, surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Now why, why Isaiah said this, is he was prophesying because when Jesus was on the cross after he had been beaten so, so har, har, horribly that he was so mutilated physically. Can you imagine um, 
somebody that took 39 stripes from the cat of nine tails. What a cat of nine tails was, it was a Roman whip that had nine leather strands on it, and at the end of those strands, they would put pieces of glass, pottery, or very sharp rocks in it. And so when you were beaten with the cat of nine tails, you're tied to a post, and they would beat you with it, and those nine things would grab into your flesh and then they would snatch it away from you, literally ripping the flesh off of your body. So Jesus' back was tor horribly uh, torn and beaten. Then, can you imagine this? After they did that, they made him carry his cross on his back. And so it became so unbearable for him. That's why they grabbed the other fellow to help him carry his cross to, to Calvary. But that's what Isaiah was prophesying because it was so bad and so horrible that he was saying that people gazing upon this take, transpiring and taking place in the Lord Jesus would, would believe that, that he must have really messed up and God was doing this to him. Well, we know that it was not God doing it to him. God allowed it so that he could pay the price for us, but he was carrying what we should carry. Amen? Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was, uh, excuse me, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Now Peter quotes this in 1 Peter 2.24 and he puts it in the past tense and he says, by his stripes, you were healed. So if you were healed, then you are healed. Now here's, um, um, well, I won't get into that. Let's go on. Let's look at some other scriptures that support what we're talking about. Again, I'm just reminding you that the price for your healing has already been paid, Okay. Let's look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, we're not going to take the time, but I encourage you at some point, go to the Old Testament and read the entire 28th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Half of the chapter are the blessings that come on people in the, under the Old Covenant in their obedience to the law. The latter part of the, the chapter are the curses that come upon people because of disobedience. Now, you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how the Old Testament translates things and makes it seem as though God puts sickness and disease on people and that type of thing. And we clarified all of that. It was not in the causative sense. It was in the permissive sense. You remember that? Okay. So as I want to show you a verse, and by the way, it lists all kinds of sicknesses and diseases in there. I mean, everything. From, well, I'll, I'll just let you read it. And read it in a modern translation because some of those uh, diseases that they uh, translated back in the 1600s when they did the King James Version, we've got different names for. So there's some things that you might be tolerating that you don't have to tolerate. Okay? 
You want me to give you one? It's real plain. You don't mind me being real plain? Okay. In the, in the old English, it's translated uh, M-rods. In modern English, it begins with an H and ends with roids. I think you know what I'm trying to say, okay? So that is included under the curse of the law, all right? Now, again, I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, nasty or anything like that, but there are some things in there. Now, just in case there is a disease that's not listed, let's look at Deuteronomy 28 and one verse, verse 61, and it says this, also every sickness and every plague which is not written in this book of the law will the Lord bring or permit upon you until you are destroyed. Now again, just to clarify further, if you disobey God, you step out from underneath his protection and you open yourself up to the full-blown curse, okay? You don't want to do that, especially since we've just read in Galatians chapter three that Jesus has redeemed you from the curse. So here's my point. If all of those sicknesses and diseases are under the curse, Jesus has redeemed you from those things. In other words, he paid the price to set you free from all of that. Now, again, we, we can't live sloppy lives. We have to obey and do the, the best we can to obey the word of God. But my point is this, you do not, there are certain things that we do not have to carry in our bodies because we are redeemed from them. Can I get an amen? amen? All right, let's go to another one. Matthew chapter eight. Now Matthew quotes what Isaiah says. He says this in Matthew eight seventeen. I'm gonna read it from the Amplified Classic. He says, and thus he fulfilled what was spoken. Now I should have included the previous verse, but it says that Jesus went about healing and uh, preaching and teaching and healing all who were sick. And so then it picks up and it says, thus he fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He himself took our sicknesses, and I'm translating it according to the New King James, and our infirmities and bore away our sicknesses. Now this used to bother me because I knew this was before the cross. So I knew that Jesus took our sicknesses on the cross but how did he begin to bear those things and take them away before he went to the cross? Well, if you look at the actual Greek language in Matthew 8, 17, what it talks about is it, the actual Greek words that are used there is as if somebody was carrying a burden and Jesus came by and took that burden off of them and away from them. Okay? So... He began the process of healing during his earthly ministry, taking sickness off of people and then completed it when he went to the cross to permanently redeem people from it. He couldn't do that before he went to the cross. So again, this verse says, thus he fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He himself took in order to carry away our weaknesses and our infirmities and bore away our sicknesses. So listen, you don't have to bear something that Jesus has already removed from you. 
And then lastly, I quoted this earlier, 1 Peter 2.24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness and by whose stripes you were healed. Now, very early on in this series, we again clarified uh, the, ver the word healed in this particular verse is nothing but physical healing, okay? So again, he's quoting Isaiah, but the point is, the, the, the fact remains sure, and that is this. Jesus paid the price for your physical body to be healed. So let me reiterate something that we've been weaving into this whole series, and that is this. Do not look at yourself as someone who is sick trying to get well. Do you believe the word of God? Okay. Well, according to this verse, you were healed. You are healed now. Say that. Say, I am healed today, now, as I sit in this chair, because Jesus took my sicknesses, bore my pains, carried my diseases, and with his stripes, I am healed. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, let's get into this. I want to begin unraveling some things for you. Uh, how do I walk in my healing? So we've established, okay, Jesus paid the price for my healing. We talked uh, last week and the week before about receiving your healing, some things by faith that you need to do. We've talked about some things about receiving healing by faith, and I want to talk to you today and, and begin the process about how we walk on a day-to-day -day basis. How do we walk in our healing? If healing belongs to me, how do we walk in our healing? So here's the first thing that I want you to do. Write this down, please. Look to Jesus and what he has already done. Look to Jesus and what he has already done. I think sometimes we get away from um, receiving and walking in what is ours rightfully as believers because we quit looking to Jesus. You know, we forget uh, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ because we quit looking at what Jesus has done for us. We forget, as I said to you earlier, that we're new creations in Christ. You're not an old sinner saved by grace. You, are, you were a sinner, you got saved by grace, and now you are a new creation. But we forget those things because we quit looking to Jesus. All right? So I want to go to a story in the Old Testament in uh, Numbers 21. Now, uh, I haven't really taught on this as much as I possibly should have because it's a, it's a phenomenal story. But let's read the scripture, Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. And this is the children of Israel as they're wandering in the wilderness. And it says in verse 4, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Well, that happened, that went on for 40 years, it seems like. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. 
Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Now, it's never a good idea to murmur and complain, but it's especially never a good idea to despise what God is providing for you, which is exactly what they were doing. The manna would fall every morning for six days and they would go out and pick it up. And, uh, you know, you can, you can disagree with me if you like, but I believe the manna that God caused to fall from heaven and Krispy Kreme donuts are related. I'm just saying, I think they're connected somehow. And that's what the people went out to pick up every morning. And, you know, I, I, I just, so this is so foreign to me as to how these people could despise God's provision every day. But notice what they said. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness for there's no food and no water? That's a lie. God was causing water to supernaturally flow out of a rock to provide for them. I, you know, I wish I'd brought the statistics, but for, you know, there's, most theologians believe there was probably upwards of 2 million people that were made up the children of Israel that are wandering in the wilderness. And um, I, I, they, they have figured out somehow how many tons of manna that would mean to feed the people every single day. How many quail it would take to feed the people every single, I mean, it's hundreds of thousands of pounds of, of manna and quail that would fall supernaturally in the camp every day to provide for the people. How many hundreds of thousands of gallons of water that would flow out of the rock supernaturally. And by the way, the Bible says that the rock followed them everywhere they went. So, you, you know, I, I, and again, I, I, I'm human just like they are. But I look at this sometimes and I go, wow, really? What? You know, so anyway, for there is no food and no water and our soul loathes this worthless bread, verse six. So the Lord sent, again, as I described earlier, he permitted fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, a couple of things I want to point out to you. If you're familiar, and of course, you know, I, I love programs on the Discovery Channel and nature shows and that type of thing. In the desert where they were at this particular time are tons of poisonous snakes. There, there's vipers, there's cobras, there's all kinds of snakes that are out in this area. And isn't it interesting that the whole time up until this point, there is no mention of anybody encountering a snake. Now you would think surely in a traveling village of that many people, somebody would have encountered a snake. You know, it reminds me, and I've told you this before, but it reminds me, uh, you know, down in Florida, 
where I go in central, north central Florida, you know, there's rattlesnakes, two or three varieties of rattlesnakes. There's cottonmouths. There's co- uh, 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 what's the little snake? Uh, red on yellow, poor dead fellow. Red on black, huh? Coral snake. That's right. You've even got coral snakes down there. When I was a kid, uh, you know, four, five, six, seven years old, we'd go down there and play on the farm. My grandfather had about 300 acres at the time, and we'd run around in the cornfields, never once think about snakes. I get to be a teenager and get to be of age, and, and we saw them all over the place. I mean, we killed one on the front porch of the house, a rattlesnake. So they're all over the place, okay? So here's my point. The Bible, well, the Bible doesn't say this, but old-timers say God looks after fools and children, okay? I know he looks after children because we never saw one. And I think it was the same thing that was happening for the children of Israel at this point. God supernaturally protected them. But when they disobeyed and began to murmur and complain and speak against Moses, speak against God, all of those things, God had to take his hand off and take that protection away. And all of a sudden, now the camp is filled with snakes. So what happened is, as the people were bitten by the snakes, these were poisonous snakes, that the people began to die. So as we read, they went to Moses and they said, ask the Lord to help us and, and deliver us from these snakes. So the Lord gave Moses instructions to build a, take a pole made of brass and take a, a brass serpent and put it on the pole and, and lift it up. And whoever that is bitten looks on that brass serpent will be healed and will be free from the venom of the snake. So Moses obeyed, obviously, and uh, put this up. So serpents in the, in the scriptures are always a type of sin. They're always connected with sin. What did Satan come into the garden as? A serpent talking to Eve and to beguile them and deceive them to get into sin. Brass is always a symbol in the Bible of obstinance, stubbornness, hard. It's a very hard metal. And so what God did is he had Moses build a replica of sin and hard-heartedness and put it up on a pole. And when the people looked at it, they would be healed. Now, the interesting thing is the word looks in the Hebrew is the word nebat, and it means to look somewhat intensely in a focused way at something. In other words, when Moses constructed this serpent on a pole and the people looked at it, it wasn't a casual glance that got them healed. It was a gaze on purpose and staring at it and letting what it represented sink into them. Now, what's interesting, I'm going to put a slide up here, and I want you to see if you recognize this symbol do you see that? This symbol is still used for medicine today, is the serpent on the pole. Meaning if you look towards that, you can be healed, okay? Now, I want to 
uh, point out something again. This was not a casual glance. They had to look at it with focus and determination. In other words, if they meant business. I am serious about this, okay? Now, I want to go to some scriptures in John chapter 3. Now, you're probably familiar with one or two of these verses that I'm getting ready to read, but maybe in the entire context, you may not be so familiar. So keep in mind what just happened in the wilderness with the children of Israel and what Moses did. So Jesus is talking to the disciples in John chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, and it says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man, who is that? Say his name. Okay. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And you know this next verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So what I'm wanting you to connect for you, in, it is important what you look at because Jesus just got through saying, just as that serpent was raised up on the pole and if the people looked intently at it on purpose with determination, they would be healed. He just got through saying, I will be lifted up in the same way. And isn't it interesting that Moses lifted up a serpent, which is symbolic of sin and hard-heartedness, and Jesus was lifted up and took upon himself our sin and our hard-heartedness. And the implication is, if we will look to him, we will experience the same thing that the children of Israel did. We will not only be saved and delivered, but we will be healed. Now, I remember when I was learning how to drive, and I'm going to ask my police officer friend in the back of the room to tune out what I'm getting ready to say. Uh, I was learning how to drive from the, t well, actually I started <laughs> when I get down on my grandfather's farm when I was 13 years old, I would drive his truck all around the farm. And, and some of you young folks don't, y'all didn't learn how to drive. Y'all are spoiled. Because I learned how to drive on a pickup truck they had three on the column. Do you know what three on the column is? Okay. It's a manual transmission, and you didn't have a little knob on there that said one, two, three, four. You had a stick on the side of the steering column, and you just had to feel where the gear, gears were. So you had reverse up high, you had first down low, then second, and then third. And that's how I learned how to drive. Well, after I had learned how to drive this way in, uh, you know, being 13, 14 years old, well, later on, I was learning, continuing my driving education with my father. And uh, this is what I need uh, Brother Eccles in the back to ignore is, and we were on the interstate. 
and I was learning how to drive, and so I was in the driver's seat, obviously, and uh, we're going down the road, and uh, I, I was in the left-hand lane because there were some trucks and things on the right-hand lane, and of course, my dad is sitting there coaching me. But so we're going down the road, and there's a truck, semi, truck and trailer, in the right-hand lane that we're easing by. And for some reason, I got mesmerized by that truck. I don't know if it was just, you know, the paint job on the truck. I don't remember what it was. But I just, you know, I was sitting here like this, and all of a sudden I got to looking at that truck and looking at that truck and just, and before long, my dad starts yelling at me, what are you doing? And so what had happened is I began to drift over towards that truck. And so he abruptly got my attention. We corrected course and uh, proceeded to go down the road. But here's what I want you to see. Write this down, please. You steer towards whatever you stare at. You steer towards whatever you stare at. If you're keeping your eyes intently focused on Jesus and what he has done for us, I can guarantee you, you will steer towards him. Okay? So you, you and I will not be able to have a strong, effective faith if you're not looking at the right things. You have to keep your eyes on the right things. If you need healing in your body, you cannot be watching uh, all the hospital shows on TV. Nothing against them. I love those shows. ER used to be one of my favorite shows. But you can't watch people getting sick if you're trying to be healed. Why? It's a distraction. You'll begin to steer towards that. Okay, so the first thing that you're going to have to do is make a commitment that you're going to keep intently focused on Jesus, looking at him, looking at what he accomplished, looking at the price that he paid for us, looking at how he redeemed and delivered you, looking at how because of those stripes upon his back, you have been healed. Because of the crown of thorns that he took upon his head and damaged and wounded his head, your mind can be healed and at peace. Staying intently focused on him. Here's the next thing, number two, and we're only going to talk about two points today, and that is this, follow what you're looking at with your words. Follow what you're looking at with your words. In other words, follow up what you're staring at with your words. Now, this is so very important, and this is not necessarily something new when I'm getting ready to share with you, but it's going to help you tremendously. There's two aspects of using your words on purpose that I want to show you today and that you're going to have to understand in the life of faith, all right? Here's the first one. You are going to have to, or the first aspect is this, believing what you say. In other words, building your faith by your words. You can strengthen your faith. You can cause your faith to grow by the words that you speak, or you can cause your faith to diminish 
by the words that you speak. Okay? Now, you're familiar with this. Romans 10, 17. So then, faith comes how? And hearing what? Okay? I want you to understand something. The highest interpretation of this scripture is that faith comes when you hear yourself speak the word. Now, hearing me speak the word is wonderful. Hearing other ministers preach and teach the word is wonderful. You need to expose yourself to that and listen to that. Listen to podcasts and all those types of things. Read, read good faith-building materials. But there is nothing that can compare to the way you can build your faith by listening to your own mouth speak faith. Because you know why? You'll believe what you say. You do. When was the last time you called yourself a liar? I hopefully you haven't, all right? Why? Because you believe what you say. And, and so what, what God does is he gives us faith when we get born again. It gets planted into our spirits, his faith. And faith is not just some nice quality that we get as Christians, okay? Faith is something that you possess and that you have potential to use, to develop, and to strengthen. And Jesus said this, nothing shall be impossible to him that believes. So here, I want to say this to you. All of us, myself included, we all start with the same raw material. Now, the reason that it seems that some are able to go further and the power of God seems to work more in their life is because they have done what is necessary to strengthen and build their faith in God's word. And listen, it's never too late. Start now. I don't care if you've been a believer for 75 years. Start now strengthening your faith by your words, by what you say with your mouth. You can make your faith go to a high level based on the level that you put your attention on the word and that you speak the word, okay? Now, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about this in just a moment. Here's the next thing. So we've got believing what you say and then the next thing is saying what you believe. Now, there's a difference. Believing what you say is when you are building your faith and it's growing because of the words that are coming out of your mouth. But it's a whole nother animal when you release your faith by your words and put it to work for you on purpose. In other words, you say what you believe. Jesus said it this way, Mark eleven twenty three. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Do you believe Jesus told the truth? Well, he just got through saying, if you will do what is necessary to build your faith, then you can speak words out of your mouth and believe that they will come to pass and you will have what you say. I didn't write it, Jesus did. Now I want to look at another scripture. 
Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. Now this is Paul writing, talking about Abraham and his life. Abraham had received the promise of God that he was going to be the father of a multitude, father of nations, and he didn't even have a son. And, and uh, so God promised him that he would give birth to a son. And you know his faith journey that he walked through with all of that. And he, by the time he was 99 years old, his wife conceived, who was 89 years old, and they gave birth to Isaac. And so the promise came to pass. But look at Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I have made you, this is quoting from Genesis, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed God, now this is God operating, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now I'm getting ready to give you something that will save you a whole lot of trouble. Now listen to me carefully. It says that this is the way God operates. God calls, the old King James says, God calls those things that be not as though they were. This translation says, the New King James, and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Okay, so this is the way God operates. Now here's the cool thing. The reason this is in here is to give us a clue. You can operate the same way if you'll believe it. Okay, now here's what I want to give you real quick to save you some, some trouble, all right? Notice this verse does not say this. God calls those things which are as though they are not. Now, there's a difference. The, the true, the verse says, God calls those things which do not exist as though they already do. What it does not say is he calls those things that are which do exist as though they do not. Now, there's a reason that I'm telling you this and, and where it pertains to healing. And I've seen people miss it in this area where walking out your healing is concerned, okay? So again, this verse does not say he calls those things which are as though they are not. Here's the point I want you to get. Write this down, please. Faith is not denial. Faith is not denial, because here's what I've seen people do. They go to the doctor. Thank God for doctors. Thank God for medical science. I appreciate it so much. But they go to the doctor and they get a bad diagnosis, a bad report. And so, you know, you know, maybe cancer was found or some type of physical condition. And I have seen people that thought faith was to say this. I do not have cancer. That is not faith. That's denial. And there's a difference between denial and faith, okay? Because I've seen people where they, you know, uh, I don't have a headache. I don't have a cold. I don't have the flu. I don't have cancer. And it's obvious. I see snot running out of your nose. I can tell you've got a cold or the flu, Okay? So here's what I want you to see. Pretending or denying that sickness is attacking your body is not faith. 
Okay, so what is faith? Faith says this, I may have symptoms in my body. I may have that report from the doctor. Doctor, thank you so much for your expertise, but here's the good news. I have a higher report. And God's report says that Jesus took cancer for me. And now you don't have to tell the doctor this because they might think you're a nutcase, all right? Let them think what they want. But anyway, I don't uh, thank you for your report, but Jesus took cancer for me and by his stripes I am healed. Now see, I have not denied that the cancer is present, what I have done is spoken healing to overcome it. And there's a difference, okay? Uh, again, I've seen people miss it where, these are, where, where this type of thing is concerned. Again, you know, by, uh, if your head is hurting, it's not faith to say, I don't have a headache. What is faith is to say, Lord, I thank you, you took my headaches that you bore them on the cross for me and by your stripes I am healed in Jesus' name. That's faith. All right? Now, I, I, I wish I had more time to park on that for a minute, but I gotta go because we're, we're running out of time. Look at Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Everybody say confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Now I want to show you something. Everybody say confession. It says, let us hold fast our confession. Because Jesus, our high priest, has passed into the heavens, let us hold fast our confession. Is that what it says? Okay. Let me tell you what the word confession means. Confession in the Greek is the Greek word omologeo. Now, you know, you know, you've been around enough that the prefix homo means same. Logeo means say Words, okay? So what this verse is actually saying to us, it means saying the same thing. So let me go back. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to saying the same thing that he is saying. What is Jesus saying over you? I don't know, Pastor. It's in the book, okay? Is he running around saying, man, I, Father, I, you know, when they came to me and they got saved, I never knew what kind of a mess they were. It's just they, they are an accident going somewhere to happen. I just don't understand this. You know, I just can't do anything with them. They're always in and out of trouble. They're causing all kinds. Is that what Jesus says? No, he didn't go to the cross so he could talk negatively about you in the ear of the Father at his right hand. Jesus is in the ear of the Father saying, Father, I paid the price for them. I paid the price. I shed my blood to deliver them from the power of sin, the power of sickness and disease. I redeemed them from the curse. 
and broke the curse off of their life. They're not under the curse anymore, Father. They're under your word and what your word provides for them. They are the blessed of the Lord because I have removed the curse from them. That's kind of the conversations between Jesus and the Father go. So what this verse is saying to us is, let seeing how he's doing that, let's pick it up and let's say the same thing. Quit saying about yourself, man, I'm so stupid. No, say, I have the mind of Christ. I might make mistakes, but I have the mind of Christ. I have the wisdom of God flowing in me. I have the spirit of God who created the universe on the inside of me. And he brings light and revelation to my thinking. Quit saying over yourself, oh, I'm so forgetful. I hope I don't get Alzheimer's like grandma and them. No, quit saying stuff like that. Say what Jesus is saying over you. All right, I got, I, got to, I got to go on. I can tell you, thank you for your enthusiasm. Hallelujah. Proverbs chapter four, last scriptures. Proverbs chapter four, and let's look at this. Solomon wrote, and he said, I'm reading from the New Living. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. So he's talking about his words, the word of God. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. Notice he said, you let them penetrate deep into your heart. For they, they what? Them words, those words, bring life. Everybody say life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. One translation, the actual Hebrew says this, it, they are medicine to all their flesh. So here's what I want you to see is that when you take time to speak the word of God concerning healing over your physical body, it's the same effect as if you were taking medicine that a doctor prescribed to you. Now, I want to ask you a question real quick. Anybody ever had a condition going on and you went to the doctor and they prescribed some medicine? Maybe you, uh, you know, had some type of infection going on and you go to the doctor and they prescribe to you an antibiotic, okay? And uh, so, you know, they usually give you a certain amount for certain days and all of that, particularly of antibiotics. And so you go home and you take the first one. Well, I don't feel any different. I'm going to quit taking them. I'm throwing these pills out. That doctor's a quack. Okay? No, what do you do? We're so diligent. It says take one in the morning with breakfast and one at night when I eat dinner. So, And we're faithful to do it until we take the whole thing. Why? Because we believe it is doing something in us. Okay, here's what I'm saying to you. Put the same trust and confidence and faithfulness towards the word of God, believing that it's doing something on the inside of you just like that medicine would. That's what he said. So here's what I want you to see on our website. Some of you have already downloaded it, but on our website, under the Morse menu at the top, there are some resources. You click on that, we have healing scriptures that are there. I double dog dare you. Now, if you, if you get double dog dared into something, you got to do it, okay? There's no backing out. I double dog dare you to go and download those healing scriptures 
and begin to say them faithfully every day over your life, over your body. Now, somebody says, I did it for a week, Pastor, and I didn't feel any different. Nothing seemed to change. Well, you sure will take that antibiotic if you don't feel any, even if you don't feel any different. Why don't you give the same credit to the Word of God? Come on now. Okay? So, what I want to encourage you to do, and, and this is what I do every day. I have all of this prepared. I printed it out. I got it organized. And so every day I have certain things that I say over my life, over my body, over my finances, every area of my life. And uh, I believe, and do, do, do I, when I crack those verses open and I begin to say them, do I hear the birds singing? And all of a sudden it smells like lavender and lilac in the room where I am. And it's just so, and then all of a sudden oil just runs down my head and I just feel the presence of God. And then I open my eyes and there's angels all over the place in the room and, and it, they're going, ah, and one's playing a harp. And no, there are days when I don't feel most days, I don't feel anything. But here's what, what I do believe is that it's medicine to my flesh. And so I declare that, Father, I'm getting ready to take your medicine and I believe it's working in my physical body. It's, it's causing healing to be manifest in my physical body. And so I go through those healing scriptures. I go through those uh, financial scriptures talking about prosperity and, and so forth and so on. Because here's what I believe. Now, and, and you need to understand something. Can I say this to you? I know I'm a little over, but I want to say one more thing to you. And then we'll be almost done. This is my third closing. I'm allowed six. Um, you need to understand something. Spiritual things sometimes in the natural seem to move very slowly. And here's why, and I'm not trying to blow a circuit when I say this, okay? Listen to me. Because spiritual things are not affected by time, okay? So when you're speaking the word of God, it's working whether it looks like it's working or not. I had the Lord say something to me, and, you know, I've really, really uh, endeavored to be just extremely faithful with this what I'm telling you to do. And uh, he said this to me down here in my spirit. I didn't hear a voice or anything like that, but he said this down in my spirit. He said, son, whether you realize it or not, you're moving the ball down the field. And I knew what he meant when he said that because there are times when it just seems like I'm not making any progress, but you are. You are making progress. And if you'll stay with it, and stay with it, and stay with it. One day, you'll wake up and look up and realize, wow, this really does work. This really does have an impact. Okay, look at this last thing I want you to write down. When you speak the word of God, you are releasing. Remember Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, the word is a seed. In that seed contains all the power necessary to produce whatever it is. If you find an acorn contained in that little acorn 
is all the power necessary for it to grow up and become a large, large oak tree. So when you and I speak the word of God, you are releasing the seed of God's power that is in that word to cause itself to come to pass. Now here's the thing, you know, when you plant that acorn in the ground, you don't run out there next day and there's a, you know, a full-blown oak tree out there. No, it takes, it takes a while. But I promise, pretty soon you'll walk out there, you'll see a little sprout, then you'll see a little tree, then you'll see a bigger tree, and all of a sudden you'll look out and there's something that's humongous out there. So I'm wanting you to see, to walk out your healing, you need to keep your eyes focused on Jesus as your healer, and then number two, you're going to have to follow up what you're staring at with the words of your mouth. Have I helped you today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word that we've heard today. I thank you, Father, it's fallen on the good ground, the people of Spring Hill Church. And Lord, as we just said, I thank you that the word contains your power on the inside of it to cause itself to come to pass. And Father, I believe in the name of Jesus that as that word has gotten sown into the hearts of these, your precious people, it will produce, it will grow up, and it will cause fruit to come to pass in their lives. And Father, I thank you that the healing power of God is already at work in each and every physical body under the sound of my voice right now. Father, we have discovered and seen that sickness, disease, and pain in our body is not your plan. Jesus bore it for us. And so, Father, we receive our healing today. And we thank you, Lord. We are the healed of the Lord from the tops of our heads to the soles of our feet. It doesn't matter what we feel. It doesn't matter the information that is given to us. What we look to is to your word and what you've done for us at Calvary. And we're so grateful for it. We thank you for it, Lord. Thank you that we are healed. Thank you, Father, that we are whole in Jesus' name. And we are so grateful and we appreciate you so much. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. We love you, Lord, and we praise you and thank you. Now, Father, thank you for peace. Lord, I thank you that not only did you take our sin, you took our sickness and disease, but you took anxiety and worry and stress for us. And Father, I thank you today we roll the cares of our lives over on you and we receive your peace today. And Father, I thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, for manifesting that in the hearts and minds of every single person here today. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I thank you and I praise you for all that you've done. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church Podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.